Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. This is episode number 41, Talking with a Modern Day Badass. First, I want to thank you for coming back and joining me. I know things are a little tenuous right now. Uh, if any of you are like me, you're in, you may be in a similar position where you can't go to work. You might be working from home. Uh, things are just, things are crazy right now. And this week, this episode is a little poignant and also a good break from just all the craziness that's out there. This week. I talked with Lindsay Persico. She is a modern-day badass. Uh, Lindsay is a lifelong hunter, uh, someone that spent a ton of time out in the mountains uh, in Idaho. Uh, when early on, whenever she was a mother, uh, she spent time with her kids in a in a one-room cabin without running water or electricity. Uh, but more recently, and the reason why I got her on was to talk about her experience participating on the History Channel's show Alone the Beast. Now, some of you may have heard of this show. Uh, Lindsay will give us a little intro to it. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go out and watch it. It's on demand. Chances are you got the time, right? Uh, so watch it. It's truly an, a, an amazing hour of television it's something that's sort of going to grasp a, a hold of you a little bit a little modern day frontiersman uh, she basically just uh, went out with two other people in the arctic no equipment no tools just the clothes on her back and a dead moose and try to make it for 30 days it was pretty cool to watch so i talked to Lindsay about her experience on the show and how it changed her so let's just go ahead and get right into it right now. Lindsay, I'd like to start today with just having you tell everyone a little bit about your background. All right. Well, I'm Lindsay Persco, and right now I live in Montana. I grew up in Idaho. Uh, I grew up in a really small town, kind of spent a lot of time out in the country. My dad introduced me to hunting at a really early age, and I fell in love with it. Grew up going out with him hunting whitetails most of the time. That was kind of our focus. We did a lot of small game things. Did some turkey hunting and coyotes, things like that. It was kind of a high mountain prairie area, so we had a few things that were prevalent. Didn't do a lot of elk hunting until I moved here to Montana with my husband. I have three kiddos, and I spend my time trying to go out and chase adventures wherever I can find them. Yeah, I, I am a little intimidated, as I said on Twitter right before <laughs> we started recording, uh, because the main reason that, I mean, I've been, we've been following each other and interacting for probably a couple of years now on Twitter. Uh, okay. So I know that you are a badass person that does a lot of outdoor things, but even more so, what really prompted me trying to get you on is that you were on History Channel's Alone the beast tv show yes and that was that was something i 
I kind of hesitated to do. I'm not really a TV person. (laughs) Naturally, as a hunter, you kind of prepare for situations you might encounter. If you get stuck out there, you want to be able to take care of yourself. So there's some skills that I had just because of being a hunter for so long. But it definitely was a little out of my wheelhouse, but I decided to, heck, why not, you know? And yeah, I mean, I have kiddos. So the thought of going and being away from my kids, they're busy, they're in school, there's a lot going on. It was something that it was a lot just to prep for going and being gone for that long. And the thought of being not able to contact them for that long was kind of daunting. I didn't like that idea. But like I said, it's it was a rare opportunity. So I felt like, you know, probably better go do it. Something I'll always remember and yeah, I would have regretted turning it down. So, so can you just tell everyone real quick, just you know, the quick 15, 30 second pitch of what the what the show's about? Yeah. So basically, it was a new survival experiment, something they hadn't done before. They kind of the producers of Alone are the ones that put this show together, and instead of being alone, you were to go out with three people, groups of three. And instead of bringing tools along, like you're allowed to bring on the alone show, they gave us no tools. We had very specific clothing that we were supposed to have layers, specific layers we had to bring. And then that was it. You couldn't bring any tools or anything like that. And you had to um, make use of a dead animal. They were going to give you either a moose or a muskox or um, a caribou was on the list. And whatever you could use off that animal to survive for 30 days was all you had. That's crazy. Uh, You mentioned that, you know, you sort of, because you've been an outdoor person, you've been a hunter, sort of prepared for some of these survival instances, just in case they would come up. But, you know, I'm in Pennsylvania. I'm an East Coast guy. Uh, My survival out here in a hunting atmosphere would not even come like what I think about doesn't even come close to what that situation was obviously with you being out west it's a little bit different you're doing mountain hunting and things like that right right we deal with a lot of snow a lot of high elevations miles and miles away from people I mean those kind of things happen but I'm not somebody that goes out there and tries to be a minimalist I work out and I try to be as strong as I can so I can bring as much stuff as I want with me. (laughs) You know, I'm not one to go out there without a knife and without a couple different ways, at least to start fire. And none of them include a bow drill or, you know, that's not on my list, but yeah, we do do encounter a lot of the same things that I encountered when I was up there. So you mentioned there were two other people with you. Did you get to meet them ahead of time or was it just like everyone showed up and okay, we're off, we're, we're doing this. That was kind of the hope. Um, we were brought into like a base camp and we did have a couple of days there doing things like paperwork, uh, medical checks, things like that. So we got to spend a little bit of time with each other at the base camp before we got put out. Um, but it took a little longer for them to get our animal. It's a hunting situation, it's not scripted. So you can't just put that on a timeline and be like, today's your start day. It just depends on when the tribe was able to find a moose and and get it down. And then we had to go when they were ready. So it took a little longer than it was supposed to. We ended up being up there for a little bit more than a week before we were supposed to start. um, After we were supposed to start, it was a week late. So 
we did have a little bit of time to get to know each other's personalities before we went out, but we weren't supposed to talk about what our skills were. We weren't supposed to talk about what our specialty was. Uh, that was supposed to kind of be a on the fly thing on camera once we got out there. And so you were in the Arctic, but as I've seen some of the other episodes, some people have been in more tropical environments. I mean, did, did you get the pick where you wanted to go or were they just telling you, hey, this is, you know, like it was randomly assigned? It was randomly assigned. I think they kind of went off of what your skill sets were and what you were more accustomed to when they chose what, where your location was going to be. I was obviously already used to mountains and snow and winter. And so I think that's why they put me there. But no, we didn't get to pick that. I don't want to give away a ton of stuff from the show because although I feel like by now people should have already seen it. So a little bit of spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, go watch it and then pick back up to this uh, episode. But um, you made it all 30 days. Your other two participants did not. Did that surprise you? It did kind of, actually. I went through a lot of different scenarios in my mind, obviously, of what could go on out there. And I knew that I was going out with two very skilled guys. I knew that they they had a lot of experience. They knew what they were doing. So I didn't really expect to end up out there by myself. But to be honest, I do a lot of solo hunting. I like to be out there by myself. So it didn't, it didn't really bother me when it happened. I didn't mind being alone. The workload... The idea of taking on the workload of three onto one person was a little bit daunting, but the alone time didn't really bother me. Yeah, that's good. If you were the type of person that sort of, you know, likes to go hunt, but likes to do it with other people, that might make that whole situation a little bit more difficult. For sure. So the first guy, he left after only what, like a couple days. I mean, from what I'm seeing from the editing part of it, I mean, it, it, who knows uh, you know, the way that they edit shows. Um, but it seemed like he was only there for a day or two and then got sick and had to leave. Right. So with a show like that, there is obviously a lot of editing and it was 30 days of material. So there was a lot that got left out a lot. We'll just say that, but that is what happened. Joe ended up having a nasty cough. He was really sick. Joe's from Nevada in the more of a desert climate. He wasn't as accustomed to that cold where we were it was just a whole different environment for him and um yeah he just he got pretty pretty sick and had to go home and then the second guy how long was he with you and until he, he left, decided to go home he left on the eighth day okay so that that's 22 days by yourself then yes wow that that's crazy okay um so let's get into First, I got to ask, did, you know, do you feel like the show and the way they edited the show, do you feel like it sort of did justice to your experience or just for the nature of it? You were there for so long and they had edited it so much. There's only so much they can, you know, include in that kind of thing. I would definitely say there was so much that got left out that it felt it felt like I really didn't get to share my story that much it's just impossible for them to put all of what happened into an hour. <laughs> um, so yeah, there was a lot that was left out and that was somewhat disappointing. I did a lot of things on there for my kiddos. I talked a lot about um, a mentor that I had that uh, made a big difference in, in my life and kind of was the reason I decided to go up there. 
and all of that stuff had to be cut out. But, but overall it, they did the best they could within an hour to show kind of what went down and, and the difficulties that I faced and, and some of the cool things that went on. They did, they did what they could. All right. So let's start way back in the beginning. You, you get the three of you get there and you find the moose that they had for you. I know this isn't, you know, you're, you're an avid hunter. This isn't the first time that you had to field dress an animal, but what was it like trying to do that with a rock? That was one of the things that I'm the most proud of out of everything that I was able to accomplish up there was skinning that moose out with that piece of slate. Because to be honest, I, I use a scalpel. That's how I roll. It's fast. It's easy. I've skinned a moose out before. I can skin an entire moose and quarter an entire moose out in, in the dark in an hour and a half. And it took me an entire day to skin it and get it quartered out with that rock <laughs> an entire long day, all of the daylight hours. <laughs> wow. So it, that was a challenge. It was a challenge. By the time I was done, my wrist actually didn't work right for the next month and a half because of all of the pulling and, and all the, just, it was hard on you. It was hard to do. It was a, it was a challenge. It was one of the harder things that I had to do out there, but that meat was the number one priority. We needed that for survival. There was no doubt about it. So it came first before everything else. So what other challenges did you feel like were extremely hard about this? The fire up there was, was one of the hardest things that you could do. Um, so the area that I was in because of the climate that that's there and how much sunlight they get, everything grows extremely slow. They had a lot of the same plants, a lot of the same um, fauna that I have here in Montana, but everything was like a midget version. <laughs> it was tiny. Um, rose bushes only came up a few inches off the ground. So because everything grows so slowly, the rings in the trees are extremely tight together. And when you're building a fire, you a friction fire you're relying on the dust that comes from in between those softer rings to build up and create your ember and when you hardly have any of it it's extremely difficult to get an ember going so i give zane a ton of credit zane worked tirelessly on that fire and we wouldn't have made it i wouldn't have made it without that fire that was an essential element and it was extremely difficult to obtain yeah that i <laughs> Well, I don't mind cold weather. I don't mind cold weather when I have all my hunting gear and, you know, it's easy. And, and honestly, at the end of the day, then I can go back to camp or go back home and get warm again. So, you know, to be in that situation, really, if you don't have fire, there's no way you're making that, that 30 days. It would have been extremely difficult to survive. I don't know how I could have done it without a fire. I needed the fire to cook the meat. I needed it to preserve the meat and I needed it to get dry and get warm. And it got extremely wet and extremely cold. I don't know if I could have made it without a fire. I probably would have ended up with hypothermia at some point. So did the fire go out on you at all? Like, did you have to go back and try to restart a fr friction fire or were you able to keep it going the entire time you were there? I had to keep it going the entire time I was there. I had to monitor it at night, keep keep at least to where I could get an ember going. There was not, you couldn't lay down and sleep all night, wake up the next morning. You had to get up, check your fire multiple times at night, keep feeding it. There were times where 
my embers got pretty low. <laughs> I had to nurse it back. Um, but yeah, it was important that I kept it going. So it was one of my main priorities the whole time I was there was fire. I lived and breathed that fire while I was there. Yeah. So there's, you basically had zero time to relax at all, right? Well, yeah, pretty much. I mean, the evenings, you had a lot of darkness. There was a lot of hours of darkness, but even during those hours of darkness, when you're laying down trying to get some sleep, I had to continually be checking on my fire. There was no, no leaving that for too long. You had to be nearby or stoke it really high. I'd stoke it really high before I went to bed and get, get an hour, two hours of sleep and then wake up, find some embers, stir it back up and get it going big, big fire again. And, and keeping enough firewood around to keep that going is a lot of work. Yeah. There'd be a lot of searching for all that, especially with, uh, as you mentioned, you know, with, it's wet. You had a lot of moisture and everything. Even just trying to find dry wood would be a little bit of a task. It was hard to find any dry wood. A lot of it was wet, so it would smolder. It would smoke a lot, and it would it would it would last a while. When you put a, I'd ha- I finally found a really good combination of the dead spruce, which would be more dry, and the really wet waterlogged birch. And I'd throw down a couple of the spruce that would keep it going, keep it hot enough, and then throw some of the waterlogged birch on there, and the fire would slowly dry it out, and it would smoke like crazy, but it would last, you know, but eventually it would dry that out and burn it. It just would be real slow. So there was a good combination by the end. I had my fire figured out pretty well. <laughs> so the show really played up bears uh, and bears in the area quite a bit. I'm sure that was something that was very prevalent on your mind the whole time that you were out there. You know, they like drama on on shows like that. And the bear was a very real thing. It was a very real threat. But I'm used to bears. And to be honest, black bears aren't really that much of a problem, especially when you're used to working in grizzly bear country and such, which we are here. Um, I worry a lot more about grizzly bears than I do about black bears. But this guy, he was definitely much more comfortable over the period of a few days of being around us and realizing that we weren't hurting him, I had no way of really defending myself. I had no gun or anything like that, like I normally would. And he, he got really comfortable to the point where I woke up that one night and he was right across the fire from me. And that, that was not normal bear behavior. You know, they don't like fires usually and people they'll usually run off, but he was definitely getting much more comfortable. And that could have potentially led to an altercation later on, which was what ended up causing me to move. But, he was there. He was hungry. Made sense. Winter was coming, and he needed he needed to fatten up as much as he could. Yeah, in Pennsylvania, we have a very robust black bear population, and you know, I mean, when I went to Montana to hunt two years ago for elk, uh, you know, we were sort of on the lookout for grizzly bears. We knew that could be an issue. We were in that country, but as far as black bears were concerned, that, that I mean, it doesn't bother me. But you know, whenever there's a bear only, you know, at night and only a couple feet away, that uh, would definitely raise the hair on the back of my neck. I can only imagine what you were thinking at that time. I was wishing I had my rifle. (laughs) 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 I would have been nice, but yeah, my only thoughts were really like, well, he's way too comfortable with me. He shouldn't be this comfortable. So, I mean, he was never threatening to me. He never charged me. He never, you know, he never did anything like that, but that felt threatening enough that he was that confident that I felt like it was a good idea to move. So you got that moose. That's obviously, you know, they gave that to you guys. That's obviously uh, your main food source. Was there anything else around that 
that you could forage and, and try to eat to go with that moose? Or was it pretty much a moose diet for 30 days for you? It ended up being pretty much a moose diet for me. Some of the groups had went out earlier and there was a lot more to forage. Uh, when I got up there, there were still some berries out and that lasted until the snow came, which was day seven. So the first week I had some berries in my diet, but after that I could find a few here and there, but it was not very much, not very much at all. It's mostly, mostly moose meat. So the biggest thing on my mind, you know, is, and you mentioned your family before already, uh, you know, I mean, that's a lot of time. And while you're still, you know, working to find wood, do things just in order to basically survive, you know, when you're in that situation, and especially for 22 days, you know, by yourself, I'm sure there's a lot of time for reflection and, and thinking uh, about your family. You know, how tough was it for you to be away from your husband and your girls? It was really hard. I have two daughters and then a little son. My son's five and and my husband. And when I left, my son was actually having some trouble. Um, he was having some swallowing issues. It didn't seem like it was something that was going to be a big problem, but it hadn't been resolved by the time I got put out. And so I wasn't able to be updated on that. I wasn't able to know how he was doing. And and. I'm heavily involved in my kids' life. They're pretty much my main thing in life. That's what I do. And I love my kids and I love my job. So being away from them and not being able to know how they were doing, that was that was probably the hardest thing for me of the entire trip. Um, definitely was always on my mind, in the back of my mind, wondering how they were doing and hoping that they were doing okay. I've not left them like that. I don't have to go on work trips and be away. I'm not used to doing that. And they're not used to be, me being gone, so... Yeah, it was really, it was really difficult, but I wanted them to be proud of what I did. And I hoped that it would inspire them and motivate them to do things, even if they seem hard, but it feels like something that they want to do. I was hoping that if I was able to go be successful and come back, they could see that. And maybe sometime later in life, they could look back on that and be like, you know what? My mom did this. I can do whatever it is that is in front of them. That's a difficult thing. Yeah, no, that's great. Whenever you told them that you were going to be leaving, you know, what was what was their reaction? What did they think about that? It kind of went all over the board. Um, at first, they really wanted to know a lot about it. They wanted to know what was going on, what I was going to be doing. There was times where they were really excited about it that, you know, we might get to see mom on TV. That would be cool. <laughs> but then there were also times where they were worried about it. You know, I remember my son being like, well, mom, what if you die? And I'm like, I said, buddy, that's not going to happen. That's not good for TV. They're not going to let that happen. <laughs> it's going to be okay. But, you know, they kind of had the full gamut of emotions and went through all of that. And in the end, I think they knew that they see me go out hunting. They know how important it is to me. They know the passion that's there. And I think they knew it was something that mommy needed to do. And it was going to be exciting for her. And overall, they had excitement for me. But we knew they, knew they were going to miss me. I think we all kind of knew that. So going back, to, how many days was it in, in whenever you decided to move, when you had that real close encounter with the bear, you decided, you know what, I need to pack up and go to a different spot. Uh, when was that exactly? It was about halfway through. I feel like I was there for a few days in that same spot after Zane left. Um, but 
but not for too long. I can't even remember. You know, the days all started running together after a while. <laughs> no, I'm sure. But it was about halfway through. I think I spent about half my time at the first location and then the other half at the second. And how far away did you move? It was about a couple miles. I had to go far enough to feel like I didn't think the bear was going to follow me. It didn't feel like he would think it was worth it to follow me. Hopefully couldn't smell my fire, that kind of thing. Right. And then obviously you can't take everything with you, right? Like you can't just start to like throw that whatever's left of that moose on your back and start going. So uh, you, was it in your mind, was it try to just take as much meat as I can with me? Or did you have a set amount you thought you needed for the rest of the trip? Or I had actually decided ahead of time that I was going to go like about a day before I left. And so I, I cut up as much meat as I could fit in that smoker. And I smoked it to the point that I could in a couple days and then took everything that I had, I had cut up and put in that smoker. I kind of weighed it out in my mind about how much I had been eating each day and how many days I had left. I tried to kind of math it out and um, make sure I had enough to last me the rest of the days. And then I just took that meat with me. It was easier to carry, obviously. It was dried and that worked out pretty good. And then obviously you had to move your fire, and that was probably one of the most impressive parts for me is how you were able to keep that ember for your hike and, and your travels. Is that something that you researched ahead of time? Yeah, it is. A few of those different things that well, that I used while I was out there, that's not something that I knew how to do before they contacted me. for. The- they recommended that we do a lot of studying and, and try to learn as much as we could and so those types of things I had researched, but never done before. This was all, a lot of those things was, was totally new territory for me. And when I left, I really hoped that I didn't have a major regret because I knew it was a risk. I knew it was risky to leave that setup that I had, to leave my fire. And I hoped that I didn't regret it, but it worked out all right in the end. So what else did you research that you, you know, used for the first time on the show? Well, I researched a lot about napping because I was really hoping that I would have a good rock up there that I could nap into a blade point or even a spear point or an arrow. Um, But they didn't have the right kind of rock up there, at least not that I could find. So I ended up just using shale, which was a bummer. Uh, I did research about shelter building a little more because when I go up in the woods, I don't I bring like an emergency blanket with me and fire making, but I don't, I don't go up there and make a shelter out of sticks, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I researched some about shelter building, how to build a good shelter, what to look for, what to watch out for, um, things like that. Even, even the drying of the meat and the stuff with the stomach where we use the stomach to make tea, use it for a rock boil. I researched that before I went up there. I'd never tried that before. It worked, but it was gross. (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i was uh you know i'm watching every as i'm watching the show i'm thinking about like what i would do in those situations you know and everything was always like i wouldn't have thought of that or um like yeah that makes sense but and and maybe even those are things that i do now but i have the convenience of you know a dehydrator or a smoker or you know um even just some flint and, and steel and like I, I in my emergency pack I take some steel wool with me and things like that um, that luckily never had to use like obviously you didn't you don't have any of that stuff so 
it's like, well, okay, now you have to really go back to like prehistoric humans and how we would really operate for everything. It was, it was very impressive to see all of that taking place. Your mind goes to a really primal place. It's something that I've never had to experience before. And I will say when I came back out of there, there was a major mental shift. It was an interesting thing to observe in myself. When when I got out there, I had zero anxiety. There was, which is strange. I would have not thought that that would have been the way it was. But your mind goes into this really simple place where all you're having to worry about is food, water, fire. And there's nothing, there's no point in worrying about anything else because there's nothing else that you can control. It goes to a really simple, basic place. And it's almost freeing in a way. It was simple for my mind. And when I left and I got taken out and dropped into a hotel room to wait for my flights, I didn't sleep for three solid days when I got back to civilization. I wasn't tired, but my brain would not shut off because it was such a mental shift that was going on to come out of being in that simple place with those simple problems to this world that we're in right now. It was crazy. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about that. That's, I mean, like I think I think of a movie, you know, Castaway with Tom Hanks. You know, he didn't want to sleep in a bed after you know being on this, you know, right. desolate island for months and months and everything. But um, you wouldn't think. I wouldn't have. I guess I sort of looked at that as sort of like Hollywood. That's just what they're portraying. But um, so that you were saying that that really happened to you. Like you had a hard time with that transition back to quote-unquote civilization yeah 100 percent. it was not something i anticipated i i'm one of those people that overthinks everything and i try to plan for everything which worked out well there because i was able to to do well and i had thought through a lot of the things i might encounter and might have to deal with but that was one thing that i never thought of and it took me really by surprise at how much my brain was affected by the whole thing now with Field dressing animals and, and the edible parts of animals, you know, some of the highest nutritional parts of the animals actually come from the edible guts of that animal. You know, I'm thinking like the liver and the kidneys, uh, things like that. Was that something that you also cooked and, and ate or was there just so much meat there because it was a moose that you weren't really worried about that? My intention going in was definitely to utilize all of those things. Like you said, because there was so much higher in, in nutrition and I knew that we were going to need all the nutritional boosts that we could. But what I didn't anticipate was the lack of time that we were going to have to work with um, because it took so long to just process the animal. And in the first three days, we didn't have fire. So there was no way to cook anything. And after three days has gone by and a gut pile has been sitting there, I'm not really interested in that anymore. It was a long time for those things to be sitting out. Those things you want to cook first. If you're going to cook them and they're going to be sitting out, you want to cook those first. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it wasn't, it didn't seem like it was cold enough to like that it would freeze it or anything like that. Days, no, it was sitting out in the sun and there just wasn't time to deal with the organ meat the way I would have liked to have. Um, if we had had fire on day one, that would have probably been a different story. The other thing about it is we didn't have a pan or a pot to cook anything in. This was all, 
you know, hold it over the fire type cooking or throw it on a slate. We used a big slate rock and propped it up over the fire like a griddle and we cooked stuff on there. Um, and it was a lot easier to cut a chunk of meat off while we're working on other things, throw it on the slate and then come back to it when it's done. And the organ meats are a little bit different to work with. You almost want a pot to put that in with some water or something, um, stew it kind of in a way. And we didn't have that ability. That wasn't really an option for us. Uh, the other thing that was really interesting about how we went, or how we went about using it, um, like the heart is something that I take off of an animal. I like eating the heart. I don't mind eating it. Me too. That's one of my favorite parts. And on that moose, like I would have loved to have eaten the heart, but it. When I took it, you know how you when you take a heart out of an animal, it's pretty solid, usually. Yes. You feel it. It doesn't have a lot of give to it. When I took the heart out of that moose, it was wobbly. It mm. was like, kind of like, you know how sometimes you get a bit of meat that's kind of bloodshot or whatever, and it um, it's jelly-like? When I pulled the heart of the moose out, that's what it felt like. It didn't feel normal to me. It didn't feel right. And so I didn't eat it. I don't know if there was anything wrong with it, but it just didn't feel right to me. And I know from past history what a heart feels like, and it felt weird, so I didn't eat it. <laughs> huh, that's that's wild. There may not have been anything wrong with it, but uh, it just didn't feel right, so I didn't touch it. Um, they had us, it's funny, the, they had us try the nose. The nose is a delicacy um, oh. in, in the tribes up there. And so we cut it off. We put it on forks and cooked it over the fire and tried to eat it. And I guarantee you that's not how the tribes cook it because <laughs> it was so hard to chew. It's really fatty, but it got so hard. You could almost not chew it. It was kind of like chewing chewing gum. Um, it was nose chewing gum. But they didn't show that <laughs> on the show, but that happened. <laughs> So uh, another part that really uh, impressed me was when after you did your move and you had at that point just that dried smoked meat, you talked about how it was getting tough to eat that just because, you know, the mouthfeel of it and that it was cutting up your mouth. So you decided I'm going to go out and I'm going to kill a grouse for some fresh meat. And you did that with the scapula of the moose. <laughs> <laughs> That, that was a very brief snippet, but I wish I would have seen a whole lot more footage of that. Can you explain your decision-making process and then how you went about doing that? Yeah, I would love to, actually, because they made that seem so short that there's so many people who are like, that's impossible. There's no way that happened. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's no way that happened the way they portrayed it. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's 100% truly not how it happened. Um, so... I decided to do that and hunted for a few days, to make that clear. There were multiple days of wandering through the woods with a lot of different implements. I had little sticks. I tried little sticks. I tried a big stick. I tried all. I tried these other bones that I had because I brought bones and I ate the bone marrow out of them. That was a lifesaver. Um, it gave me a lot of energy. But I tried these other bones and they were too heavy. And the scapula was like one thing that I could throw fairly consistently. Um, and it was pretty light so I could huck it quite a ways. Cause a lot of times the birds would get up high in the tree and then I just couldn't throw anything with enough force to reach them. So anyway, there was a lot of hunting and a lot of throws and a lot of hitting a bird and it flies away and <laughs> a lot of missing birds <laughs> before I finally got one. Yeah. It wasn't nearly what they portrayed, but 
it was a lot of fun. It gave me something to kind of fill my time towards the end besides just getting firewood. Uh, and I love hunting. So it kind of keep me a little bit sane. So did you only get one bird then or was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Only one. <laughs> yeah. It definitely showed in the show, like you went out and it was the first bird you came across and you got it. And it was like, wow. I mean, I was impressed with the fact that that happened at all. Uh, but then it was like, well, if that would really like happen that quick, um, that that's crazy. Yeah, no, it did not happen that quick. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that skilled. <laughs> that was, that was not portrayed very accurately. So I'm kind of glad to have a chance to explain that. <laughs> Is there anything specific other, you know, you mentioned that you talked a lot about your kids and you talked about your mentor. Um, is there anything that like you specifically did that didn't get put in the show that you're like, man, I really wish they would have put that out there. Um, well, I talked a lot about Zane and how much I respected him and, um, what an awesome person he was. He was an amazing, amazing guy. And I, he kind of got thrown under the bus. I felt like a lot of people didn't understand why he left. Obviously, they couldn't put all that information in there. Um, that was private for him. But I totally respected him, and I totally respected his decision. And I know he made the right one, and I have no hard feelings towards him or Joe. I'm glad that I got a chance to get to know him and work with him some. And I kind of wish that could have been portrayed because a lot of people have animosity towards him because he left. But it worked out the way it was supposed to work out. And in the end, I was perfectly fine with, with what happened. I was glad to be able to have a chance to experience it with a team and on my own. There was pluses and minuses to both ways. And getting to experience them both was kind of a blessing. It was definitely, it definitely felt like it was edited in a way that made his decision seem very abrupt and just, I'm out of here. I can't deal with it. I'm out of here. Uh, so you're saying that there was a lot more that went into it and I'm, I'm sure it was something he talked about with you before he just decided, Hey, I'm leaving. Yeah. Yep. And, and he had a very good reason for leaving and it, and it was not because he couldn't hack it out there. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Zane was doing just fine. He could have made it out there. No problem. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's a shame that they decide, you know, like you said, they love, they love drama. That's how they live. It's just a shame yeah. that. They have a, to go that route. There's there's a lot that goes into TV, and they got to make it work for them. But when it comes down to it, I have the utmost respect for both of my teammates. They're both awesome people. Have, have you talked to either of them since being on the show? Yeah. Yep. We're friends. We'll probably always be friends. I think Zane and I might swap out some hunts. He does a lot of hunting in Colorado and over in Iowa, and I do all my hunting over here in Montana and Idaho, and I think he may come out and do some hunting with me, and I might go out his way and do some hunting over there. So, yeah, friendships were made that'll probably last my whole life. Obviously, there were cameramen there, right? Uh, was there, like, a hard role where they were not allowed to talk to you or help? And, I mean, what was that like, having them there but really – not there they were just always there kind of like your shadow following you around <laughs> right behind you right on top of you yeah they were amazing though it was interesting to watch them and to be honest I learned a lot about photography and videography things that I'm going to use in my own social media and my own videos and on my website some really inf handy information that I wouldn't have been able to learn any other way so that was kind of cool 
All right, so give me one or two tips because I would like to use the same things that you learned. I'm going to try to uh, steal from you what you stole from them. What what are some what's one or two things that you're like, oh, that's like that's good. I can use that. One of the big things was that it's important to tell the story with your camera, and in in order to do that, you have to get it from a lot of different angles. You need to get a wide shot of what you're doing. You need to get a closer up shot of what you're doing and you need to get a shot right on top of what you're doing. So you may have to redo the same thing over and over again to get those shots, but it's important for the story for people to be able to feel like they can see everything that's happening from all the angles. It takes a lot of time, takes a lot of work. If you have multiple cameras, that helps because you can set up one further away, you can set up one closer, you can get those shots, but keeping it keeping it in one location when you're doing like a project or whatever, it just doesn't accurately tell the story for people. They need to see an up close. They need to see a long, a wide shot and they need to see kind of the basic, like they were sitting next to you view, all that stuff needs to be incorporated. And that was kind of neat to watch them do that. Yeah. That, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, just like you said, it takes a lot of time. Uh, so, right. you know, it, you're, you mentioned you're oftentimes uh, out solo and, you know, the majority of the hunts that I personally do uh, are solo endeavors. So, you know, trying to take the time to get all those extra shots and things like that it, it, and get the right angles. I've, I've tried to do that with our social media uh, presence, try to not necessarily to be artistic, but try to do more than just take a picture and this is what we did, but try, like you mentioned, try to tell that story. And it definitely takes a whole lot longer to get that done than it does to just, snap a quick picture with your phone. It does. And to be honest, if you're really going to try to do that consistently, it's also going to cost you animals because you cannot accurately portray your story and capture all of those things and hunt efficiently on your own. You can't. You you will get to capture stuff now and again, but you're going to miss out on a lot of stuff if you're focusing on all that camera work. It's just the way it is. There's no getting around that. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, the the animals, you can't tell the animal, wait, go back, do that again. I didn't get nope. the right shot. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't happen that way. <laughs> All right. So I guess the last little bit I have, last question I have, uh, you mentioned that it, it changed you a little bit. Like in what way, I mean, how do you look at life now compared to how you looked at life before you went on the show and, and did this adventure? I think I think a couple things changed. I've always I mean my life I've had quite an interesting life for a young person and a lot of the things that I've been through in my life have caused me to not get hung up on little things. Anyway, I've kind of gotten to that point in my life where small stuff, it's like the don't sweat the small stuff doesn't really matter. But that was definitely cemented in my mind with this. You go up there you get away from the hustle, the bustle, the hectic, the keeping up with the Joneses, all the stuff that goes on in our society. And you realize how piddly and trivial that stuff really is when it comes right down to it. There's this whole world out there happening and going on that has zero care <laughs> for anything that's going on on the Internet. You know what I mean? The yep. piddly stuff just doesn't matter. And... <laughs> that was just cemented in my mind. Um, I think the other thing was just kind of a confidence for myself in knowing 
you know, hey, I can do this. Like I've, I try to test myself and I try to push myself and always get a little stronger or get a little bit more knowledgeable in this area or get a little better at that. And this was a gigantic challenge to see if I could, if I could do it. And I was able to do it. And it just felt like a new bar, a new level that I was able to reach. I'm like, okay, well, I can, I know I can do this. What else can I do? (laughs) It was a confidence boost and also a little bit of a challenge to be like, well, if you can do this, what else can you do that you're not doing right now? There was that takeaway from it. Uh, I lied. I'm going to ask another question. And that is, would you do this again? Like if they called you tomorrow and said, hey, we want you to come back on. We want you to do this again. Would you do it again? No. (laughs) (laughs) And not because I don't, you know, obviously feel like I could. I feel like I mastered that. Um, I look back at it and I'm like, I'm confident in what I did. I'm proud of what I accomplished and I feel like I conquered it. I want a new challenge. I want a new adventure. I don't want to do the same thing over again. Do you have any plans then for another adventure? Like, is there anything rolling around in your head that you're like, I want to try this now? Not when it comes to something like what I did up there. I always have challenges and things here. I mean, the state that I live in has an endless list of things that I want to go do. There's, there's hikes to do. There's hunts that I want to do. There, I'm, every hunting season is a new opportunity for a grand adventure, and I'm always chasing those. <laughs> That's my goal is to just get as much of that in as I can. If something else presents itself, I'll hop on it, but I don't have anything in the works right now. All right, so can you just let everyone out there listening know, like, where can they find all your content? Uh, you have some great content. I follow it pretty religiously uh, where can they find more information about you and the things that you're up to and the things that you want to talk about well pretty much if you search hunt fiber you'll find me anywhere um, I have a website huntfiber.com and then I am on Facebook Instagram Twitter snapchat and LinkedIn you can find me under Lindsay Persico on LinkedIn and everywhere else it's hunt fiber if you search that. Um, and I have a YouTube channel too as well. Yeah, that was back whenever you first sort of made the announcement that you were going to be, if I remember correctly, taking a break from <laughs> social media. Uh, there was some concern on my end because it was like, oh, no, she puts good stuff out there. Like, oh, I, I hope we don't lose her. And then to find <laughs> out when you came back that that was the, the reason why, it was like, oh, okay, that, that makes more sense. <laughs> So I was definitely I relieved to uh, to see you come back and that you left for a uh, quote unquote good reason to, to take that break. I appreciate that. That's kind. I, I didn't like not being able to tell people what I was up to, but that was just part of the game. I guess I have one more question. What was it like not to have any social media running around, any uh, internet stuff? What, what was it like to truly be disconnected from the rest of the world? Like I said, on one hand, I think that was why there was so little stress in my mind. It was just, I didn't have to think about any of that. And that in a way was really nice. But at the same time, there were so many things that I wished I could share with everybody. The fact that I couldn't share these awesome things. I enjoyed being able to have them and enjoy them myself. Things I would see that were just beautiful, like the northern lights and some of the animal 
interactions I was able to have with the Martins up there and just so many cool things that are awesome to experience on your own, but they're so awesome. You really want to share them with people because you want other people to be able to experience it. Not being able to do that was kind of a bummer (laughs) on quite a few instances. It came to my mind. I wish I could share this, but it also was really, really a stress relief after a while, I think. Yeah, that's something that I always, uh, that all of us here with Conservative Wild, we're always like wrestling with, you know, we, I mean, I hunt, I do things outdoors, partial, a big portion of that is so that I can disconnect. But at the same time, I know that based on what we're doing and what we're trying to do here, we need to tell the story, we need to share. So it's like, you know, what do I take pictures of? So I, sometimes I feel like I'm not disconnected. And then there are certain times where I decide, hey, I'm going to go on this hike or I'm going to go out on this hunt and the phone's going in my pack and I'm not pulling it out. And then, you know, that always seems to be the time whenever something happens, you're like, oh, that would have been cool to share with people. (laughs) Right, right. Sometimes it's nice to set it aside and be able to just go truly enjoy it for yourself and take the break away. But then it's also really nice. There's so many people that I talk to online who can't go out and do what I can. And they live for the little glimpses that they get from people like you and me who are blessed to be able to go out and have these experiences. They live to be able to see those little bits of it. And I love that I can share that with people. And I want to be able to share that with people. I I hope that people who aren't able to get out there can still get a little bit of that passion just through what I can share and bring back. So it makes it worth it to me, even though it's harder sometimes. Um, and you don't get to fully experience it in the way you do when you put your phone away, having the knowledge that I'm being able to bring that back for other people makes that worth it. Yeah, we'll keep doing it. Uh, even though I make it a point to get outside and I can get outside and do a lot of a lot of the things that I enjoy uh, because I'm an East Coaster, uh, a flatlander, as some of you in the West like to call us, I don't get to see a lot of the things that, that you're posting. Uh, you know, there's there's not a grizzly bear within a couple thousand miles of me. So uh, it's nice to be able to see a lot of that content that you're putting out there. So keep, keep doing what you're doing. It, it's great. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I love to see what everybody else is doing too. Everybody has their own thing going on in their own area. And it's fun to see a little bit of what everybody's up to. Well, Lindsay, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me on. It was great to connect with you. That's going to be it for talking with Lindsay. I want to be the first to say that that sounds like an absolutely amazing experience and also something I honestly don't think I'd be able to do. To be able to, while I feel like I have some ability, you know, some knowledge to be able to do that stuff, uh, just the the emotional and the m- mental aspect to, to get through that is something that is pretty amazing. I'm a lot like Lindsay. I like to push myself. I like to try new things. Uh, I like to challenge myself. That might be a step or three further than I would I would uh, push and, and challenge myself. So I give her all kinds of major, major props. Uh, what she's doing and what she has done, is it truly is absolutely amazing. Uh, as she said towards the end there, uh, you can find her... All over the place with one simple name, Hunt Fiber. Uh, You can find her on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just type in Hunt Fiber 
uh, in the search bar and it'll bring up her profile and she has some absolutely amazing content. Uh, and then the one place where you can really find some really cool articles, some videos, uh, more of her pictures and, and just more and more great content uh, is huntfiber.com. I highly recommend you go. That's a bookmarked page on my web browser and somewhere I'm stopping uh, at least weekly, if not sometimes a little more often than that as well. I want to reiterate from last week, just give you another quick uh, update on the giveaway. We are doing a giveaway right now. And we're going to keep it going. Um, not exactly sure how long. I might just say until the COVID-19 deal is over for me, right? So, uh, yeah, let's go with that. We're going to do the giveaway as long as the coronavirus is not allowing me to go to work. I'm going to keep it going. So, uh, you definitely uh, have at least two more weeks uh, for that, possibly a little more. Who knows? We just don't know a whole lot, right? Uh, so, what you have to do to be entered into the giveaway is you need to rate and review uh, this podcast on either uh, Apple Podcasts or on Google Play. Just take a screenshot of that and either post it on Twitter or Instagram and, con and include our, uh, our usernames. Uh, conserve the wild on Instagram at us or you can add us on Twitter conserve underscore wild or you can send it to info at conservewild.org any of those will get you uh, a free conservation unfiltered sticker uh, that will initiate the whole process we'll end up talking with you and getting your your address your home address and we'll we'll send it out to you uh, if you haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter. Go to conservewild.org, and right at the top banner there, you're going to see newsletter. Go ahead and type your name in there, type your email address in there, and you will see once a month, that's it, an email from us letting you know what we've been, been doing for the past month uh, and some conservation issues that we find important uh, that you might want to know about. Until next week, I want you all to stay safe, stay smart, and stay wild. Mm -hmm.